You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The following program is a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill. Welcome to The Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you're a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. My name is Michael O'Neill. I'm The Miracle Hunter and creator of the website MiracleHunter.com. I'll be your host for the next hour as we continue our weekly exploration of the world of miracles. Close to 800 years ago to the day, on August 10th, 1218, a new religious order for the redemption of captives, the Order of Our Lady of Mercy, was officially and solemnly constituted at the main altar in the Cathedral of the Holy Cross in Barcelona, Spain. Our Lady of Mercy, also known as Our Lady of Ransom, is a Marian devotion that most people don't know much about. But today we'll be talking with Father Ken Breen, who's the Vicar Provincial of the Order of the Blessed Virgin Mary of Mercy, and he'll be giving us a little history lesson both on how the devotion got started and how the Mercedarians came to be and what they do now. And of course, in just a bit, we'll be asking you a Catholic trivia question, so get your pens and paper ready. Later in the show, we'll be talking about how Our Lady is honored around the world on today, August 5th, in our segment, 365 Days with Mary. More information on this project can be found at 365dayswithmary.com or on Facebook, 365 Days with Mary. This week in Miracle News, we have a couple of interesting news items for you. In Pianecrati, Italy, uh, believers have been flocking into the street where a statue of the Virgin Mary that was brought from Medjugorje has been seeming to shed tears for days, uh, for several days in late July. Uh, that's, again, that's in Pianecrati, Italy. And while some believe that this is a sign and others suggest a natural cause, uh, the the local parish there has contacted the bishop's office and the diocese has collected samples for laboratory tests. So we'll see if that is indeed a miracle. In other news, it was the 10-year anniversary of the passing of mystic Maria Esperanza celebrated in New Jersey this past week. We did a program on uh, Maria Esperanza, who really is one of the incredible modern mystics in our church. And uh, her canonization cause was opened in January of this year in New Jersey. So definitely we'll keep you updated on her canonization cause if we hear of any miracles being approved. Another miracle story, uh, the moral remains of St. Marianne Cope has found its final resting place in Honolulu's Cathedral Basilica of Our Lady of Peace on July 31st. And... Uh, that was welcomed back in an exuberant two-and-a-half-hour celebration of prayers, songs, gestures, reflections, hula dancing, flowers, and incense. And, of course, uh, St. Marianne Cope was best known for her work with the lepers in Hawaii. Now, nearly 700 people packed the church that first welcomed Mother Marianne 130 years ago when she first stepped foot on Oahu to begin her mission of charity to those no one else would dare to touch. Bishop Silva 
Uh, he can celebrate the Mass with 30 priests, many of whom wore stoles bearing the images of St. Marianne and St. Damien on each side. St. Marianne succeeded St. Damien in ministering on Malachi. The bishop said the physical proximity of the saint's remains provides a spiritual experience more enriching than com contemplating her goodness from afar. And he used the Hawaiian word for spirit. Uh, bishop Silva said that the bones of the saint have a spiritual power that can heal and move hearts. It is the mana of St. Marianne that brings us together today, he said. The mortal remains of this frail creature of God, made from dust and returning to dust, have an incredible spirit of their own, an aura that makes us want to be near them. We want to touch the relics of this woman who dedicated herself to healing so that we may be healed and we may be healers, end quote, he said. Bishop Silva said St. Marianne's mana radiates from these mortal bones so that the Holy Spirit may penetrate into our bones and lead us to feed the hungry on our own streets and to welcome the stranger on our borders. St. Marianne Cope and six companion sisters had arrived in Hawaii in 1883 from Syracuse, New York, at the request of the Hawaiian Kingdom to help care for natives who had contracted the then incurable Hansen's disease, or leprosy. What was supposed to be a temporary assignment for the nun, who was the superior of the New York community at the time, turned out to be a permanent one as she chose to stay where she felt most needed. St. Marianne opened a hospital on Maui and a home for the healthy children of leprosy patients before moving in 1888 to the leprosy settlement in Kalapapa. Among her other duties there, she ran Bishop Home, a complex of cottages for the female patients there. And she died of natural causes in 1918 in Kalapapa, and she was the only sister of St. Francis to be buried there. And she was canonized by Pope Benedict XVI in 2012, we did an episode on her some months back, so go to our archives to find out more about St. Marianne Cope. And that's the Miracle News for this week. To keep up to date with the latest in Miracle News, please visit MiracleHunter.com and sign up for our newsletter. You'll receive a monthly email with the latest Miracle Hunter news, including reports on the latest miracles and news stories, links to past radio episode podcasts, updates on my television series, Miracle Hunters, now in development, and my book, Hunting for a Miracle, due out in fall 2014. Any upcoming speaking engagements and much, much more. So sign up for the newsletter on MiracleHunter.com by clicking the newsletter link at the bottom of the page. Now it's time for Catholic Pub Trivia. Each week I'll be asking a trivia question and giving out a prize for a caller that gets the right answer. This week we'll be giving away a framed image of a piece of artwork titled The Faces of Mary. It is a framed image, a mosaic of over 100 images of Our Lady that forms a beautiful picture of the Madonna and Child. Trivia questions are generously provided by Catholic Pub Trivia, an organization that partners with Catholic parishes, schools, or religious organizations to host Trivia Night fundraisers at local establishments. For more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit catholicpubtrivia.com. We always try to keep the questions related to the theme of the day's program, and today we're talking about the Order of Our Lady of the Mercedarians. Here's the question. Coming from the Latin word for beg, what is the name for the type of religious orders that depend directly on charity for their livelihood? That question again, coming from the Latin word for beg, what is the name for the type of religious orders that depend directly on charity for their livelihood. 
and we'll announce the winner later in the show. And if you're interested in more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit catholicpubtrivia.com. For those just joining the program, this is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter Radio Show. And for more information on the program or my research on miracles, please visit miraclehunter.com. Now, time is for the question of the day, and I see the phones ringing with the trivia question answer, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Here is the question of the day from our email inbox. Question is, Dear Miracle Hunter, I'd just like to ask, what is the church's decision on the male seer Emmanuel Segastashawa's visions in Kibeho, Rwanda? I don't see his name on the list on your website. Thanks very much. To Jesus through Mary, Joseph. Well, thank you, Joseph, for your excellent question. It's always a confusing thing when in a group of visionaries the church approaches approves several of the visionaries as authentic, but not another from that group. To give a little background here, the Cabejo apparitions began on November 28, 1981, at a time of increasing tension between two opposed ethnic groups, the Tutsis and the Hutsus. The visions began occurring at Cabejo College, which was a secondary school for girls, and it included an apocalyptic vision of Rwanda descending into violence and hatred, which many believe foretold the 1994 Rwandan genocide. The Virgin Mary appeared to the group under the title Nina Wa Jambo, meaning Mother of the Word. The teenage visionaries reported that the Virgin Mary asked everyone to pray to prevent a terrible war. In the vision of August 19th, 1982, they all reported seeing violence, dismembered corpses, and destruction. Only the visions of the first three visionaries, Alphonsine, Natalie, and Marie Claire, aged 17, 20, and 21, respectively, received the local bishop Augustine Misago's solemn approval. There were four others, including Emmanuel Segastawa, who was previously a pagan and later became an evangelist after the visions. His visions allegedly included a meeting with Jesus Christ in a beanfield in July 1982. But the bishop had reservations about his alleged visions of Jesus, so the bishop did not confirm their authenticity. And that is today's question of the day. So thanks so much, Joseph, for writing in. If you have a question for the Miracle Hunter, please send your questions in to questions at miraclehunter.com, and we'll be selecting one question each week to be read on the air. And we had an answer to Catholic Pub Trivia. We had Kelly call in with the correct answer. So, Kelly, we'll be sending you out the prize, which is a framed image of a piece of artwork entitled The Faces of Mary. Now, the question again was, Coming from the Latin word for beg, what is the name for the type of religious orders that depend directly on charity for their livelihood? And that answer is mendicant, mendicant orders. Christian mendicant orders, in principle, do not own property, either individually or collectively, believing that they are thereby copying the way of life followed by Jesus. In addition to Mercedarians, the Franciscans and Dominicans are examples of a mendicant order. So thanks for calling in, Kelly, with the correct answer, and we'll send you that prize. And for more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit catholicpubtrivia.com. 
Each week, we do a segment entitled 365 Days with Mary. Now, for each and every day of the year, somewhere in the world, there's a Marian title, feast, or commemoration of an apparition or other miraculous event of Our Lady that's being celebrated. Never ceases to amaze me how much the world loves the Mother of God and honors her each day of the year. Now, all the dates with their feasts are collected into one resource, 365 Days with Mary. Each entry features images, a description, and a history of the feast day, along with information on the shrines associated with them, including visitor information and links for those wishing to see those places. The project is available in print in the form of a daily engagement calendar, a daily planner, as well as online at 365dayswithmary.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, where if you like us, you can automatically receive information about each feast day and learn more about our Blessed Mother and how she's honored around the world. So be sure to like 365 Days with Mary on Facebook and visit the website 365dayswithmary.com to see the project. The print version in the form of a daily organizer makes a great gift for anyone with a devotion to Our Lady. And today is August 5th, so we celebrate the feast of the dedication of the Basilica of St. Mary Major, which is related to Our Lady of Snows. Now, the Catholic Encyclopedia summarized the the legend of the Our Lady of Snows story as such. It says, During the pontificate of Liberius, the Roman patrician John and his wife, who were without heirs, made a vow to donate their possessions to the Virgin Mary. They prayed that they might that she might make known to them how they were to dispose of their property in honor of her. On August 5th, at the height of the Roman summer, snow fell during the night on the summit of the Esquiline Hill. In obedience to a vision of the Virgin Mary, which they had that same night, the couple built a basilica in her honor of Mary on the very spot, which was covered with snow. This, of course, was the Basilica of St. Mary Major, Santa Maria Maggiore, and it became known as one of the great churches of Rome and one of the great architectural treasures of our Catholic tradition. On August 5th of each year, during the celebration of the liturgical feast of the dedication of the Basilica of St. Mary Major, a custom that commemorates the story of the miraculous snowfall is still maintained at the conclusion of the solemn mass in the basilica, a shower of white rose petals are dropped from the dome of the chapel of Our Lady. At sunset of the same day, an artificial snowfall is staged as a tourist attraction in the square outside the Basilica. And that was today's feast, the dedication of Our Lady of Snows. Be sure to visit the project 365 Days with Mary on Facebook and online at 365dayswithmary.com to find out more about this devotion or any of the other hundreds of devotions celebrated around the world. This is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter Radio Show. And for more information on this program or my research on miracles, please visit MiracleHunter.com. And today, of course, uh, we're dedicating our show to Our Lady of Mercy. And we will be here today with Father Ken Breen, who is the Vicar Provincial of the Order of the Blessed Virgin Mary of Mercy. Welcome to the show today, Father Ken. Well, thank you. I'm very happy to be uh, with you and celebrate this title of Our Lady of Mercy, which uh, is particular for our community, and we celebrate in a particular way, of course, during the month of September, the whole month, and of course, uh, the highlight is on September 24th. So I'm happy to be here. Absolutely, and thank you for joining us today, and I think uh, 
you know, a, a lot of people are familiar with the Divine Mercy uh, devotion, and mercy is an important part of their Catholic faith, but they may not know the story of Our Lady of Mercy. I was hoping today, Father, you could tell us a little bit about where, uh, where this whole devotion comes from, the Our Lady of Ransom or Our Lady of Mercy devotion. How does it all begin? Well, it uh, certainly begins with our founder, St. Peter Nolasco, and 1218 in Spain, when uh, through the inspiration of the Blessed Mother, uh, Our Lady, he uh, felt uh, uh, that he was asking of her, um, she was asking of him to establish our our order to come to the aid of uh, these captives that were in danger of uh, losing their faith that were in North Africa. And Can you give Spain. us a little bit of background of who were these captives in the historical context? Uh, what, who, who was holding the captives, and, and where were the captives coming from? Well, what happened is, uh, at that time, uh, the Muslims, they could see that uh, Christians could be actually held, and people would come and uh, pay a ransom for them. So uh, even before Peter and Alaska came around, uh, there were many military orders, uh, uh, Mount Joy, uh, uh, Knights of uh, St. James, and these military orders would go to uh, in North Africa, and they would see these uh, uh, Christians that were being held for ransom, and they were in dungeons, and they were suffering greatly. So uh, they were uh, using what they could to set them uh, free, they would uh, use money to to uh, pay for their release. And Peter Nolasco, as a merchant, uh, his father was a merchant, and he went on merchant journeys, and he would see their uh, great uh, suffering situation of these Christians being held captive. And and uh, because they were available for ransom, he would use his own money. And when that was was used up, he was like in dire straits. So. By his constant prayer to Our Lady, uh, she inspired him to uh, see as a way to further this work that uh, uh, to establish a religious community and, and founded in Spain in 1218 with the help of uh, uh, the king and also St. Raymond of Penafort, uh, encouraging him. And uh, this way the order could uh, go and go to people and ask for alms, and with these alms, collect them, and every year, once a year, make a journey to North Africa and use these alms to uh, free the Christians. And if there wasn't enough, we had this particular, uh, the, the particular response development for our order is that if we didn't have enough, we would uh, take this fourth vow and actually take their place, awaiting also hopefully a ransom for ourselves as well, and if wow. that didn't arrive, then there would be the the problem that many we have many early martyrs because uh, those that ransom didn't arrive, or or even uh, uh, because of pirates. That's another thing that was common at that time. Pirates knew that when they would raid coastal towns in Europe, they could take Christians and bring them to North Africa, and they knew that the Muslims holding them, uh, they would be able to get money for them. So it was really like a uh, this terrible situation where there was commercially like a, a commercial trade going on because of uh, they knew that they could hold them for as hostages, uh, and 
the the key thing is that uh, you know they knew that they could have him because with that suffering, it's you know it it pre- uh, presented that sort of pressure for uh, to get them to be uh, set free, you know, a ransom. Otherwise, they could easily deny their faith, even though it wasn't that easy, because if they did deny their faith, then the Muslims would lose the money for ransom. Okay? Oh, I see. So, you know, there was like these laws, too, that uh, regulated some of it, uh, but then, of course, laws were only <laughs> followed by, you know, whatever... Uh, authority would make sure that they're followed, or sometimes there was, you know, unfairness going on too. But in any case, the the, the real center uh, for what was taking place here and the concept of mercy and uh, comes from misericordia uh, that uh, and ransom, because misericordia is the Latin for uh, you know the movement of the heart. Uh, when we see someone who's in great misery or great distress or in a deplorable situation. So it's a a little deeper than simply, uh, you know, a favor or a gift, as we might see, uh, you know, the the giving of a gift or or a favor in a simple sense of mercy, but it's even, you know, like a stronger term to see Our Lady of Mercy. And also uh, the word merced is the Spanish word, and this came up over time. Uh, uh, in the very beginning, our order was really more uh, given the name of Saint Eulalia because she was the the patroness of Barcelona and more well known. So our friars in the beginning had the title of the Order of uh, Ransom uh, dedicated to Saint Eulalia. But as time went on and the work went on, and also uh, Peter Nolasco. Uh, communicated to all of our early friars that it was really because of Our Lady that this work goes has gone forward, and that even they started to call the habit the habit of St. Mary. So gradually, over time, the work was associated with Our Lady, and then the term Merced uh, came, which really means this ransom, you know, this deeper form of mercy. So it was really, over time, uh, linked together and became Our Lady of Our Lady of Mercy or Our Lady of Ransom. Okay, that's so, no, that's a that's a great history. Thank you for giving us that background. And uh, now, Father uh, Peter Nolasco, the saint, the founder of the order. Um, from what I understand, there's not a lot known about his life. Uh, what what can you tell us a little bit of the background of Saint Peter's life? Well, it's true. Uh, there wasn't much written about him or uh, much known. I mean, a lot of uh, things about his birth are surmised from maybe his age, possibly in maybe he was born in France or uh, or around in Barcelona. Um, but uh, what we really focus on is the fact that he was so dedicated to uh, doing everything and giving his all to free these Christians that are in this very terrible situation and in danger of giving up their faith. So he was so moved to to do this great work. And, and And he wasn't so concerned about, you know, anyone knowing about his history. And and we were so busy 
collecting alms and uh, engaged in this work of redeeming captives that uh, apparently not a lot of things were written down in those, those early years, you know. We even sure. have trouble getting you know, documents together that uh, show uh, some of our history. Uh, we do have one, uh, apparently, that shows, I think, in 1203, and this is a pretty important document that shows that he uh, did some kind of ransom. Uh, so, I mean, even even in those early years, he was engaged in doing some redeeming work. So, uh, that's I think that's an important fact for our our work of uh, the work of mercy that he inspired for us to do. Absolutely, and that sounds like that was an important uh, document there in the history of your order. And uh, in addition to his life not being uh, that well documented, I know there's sort of a legend or story or reality of the inspiration that he received uh, to found the order. And that's traced back to a, a vision, uh, supposedly, of the Blessed Virgin Mary to inspire him to uh, to found the order and to perform his work, the works of mercy. Uh, what can you tell us? What is known about that legend or that story, or, or what what is the uh, what is the Mercedarians take take on this today? Well, uh, many of the uh, stories about that come from some of the early historians, like uh, Nadal Gavar in 1445 and Peter Sihar in 1446 that they talk about tradition of Mary's intervention or inspiration in our founding. And uh, according to them, you know, they're saying that the Blessed Virgin appeared to the three people, Peter Nolasco, uh, St. Peter Nolasco, James I, and Raymond of Penafort. Now, because, uh, you know, we have this development of modern historical criticism, we see things, for example, like James I was probably only about 10 years old, so maybe uh, the idea that he actually saw it, or Raymond Penafort, he maybe was uh, a canon and wasn't even a, a Dominican at that time, something like that. So these historical circumstances put a little bit of doubt on that that uh, idea. But uh, what is more sure is that his devotion to Our Lady was strong because of his... Uh, there's, I think there's even a plaque there at, uh, at Montserrat where he uh, went there to pray. And the, I, the, the key thing that was what helped him in moving forward with this great work of mercy because it's so difficult and the resources are so difficult to come by is that... Uh, he he was in prayer and and before the Blessed Mother and asking for uh, insight and direction and surely whether it's uh, uh, something of an actual apparition or simply an inner uh, inspiration or whatever took place certainly uh, he was moved by the Blessed Mother and encouraged because so many so many people would be against the whole idea, for example, you know, why are we going to enrich the uh, the Muslims, uh, getting all these funds together right. and going over there to 
to uh, pay for their release. They're just making the Muslims richer. So, I mean, there's many voices that uh, work against, uh, you know, doing this good work. So he was in great need, and and surely Our Lady encouraged and inspired him in, in some form to establish the order. And we know this particularly by the fact that he's given the habit, you know, to the friars, and it was always titled and titled the the habit of Saint Mary. So there's uh, well, this is one of those uh, strong uh, indications and why we're a Marian community because you know the, this uh, strong emphasis on the habit of Saint Mary, and also while there were many many churches even titled to Saint Eulalia, the first uh, name that uh, associated with our order, yeah. even more. As Saint Peter Nolasco himself personally uh, in, um, uh, promoted the naming of many churches, some of our most significant churches, to the title of Mary and Our Lady. So, uh, so it was they, very clear that he had a very strong Marian devotion that inspired him to push forth in this effort. So. Exactly, that's the heart of the matter, and why we are fundamentally a Marian community. And no, that's, also, that's, a, that's a wonderful explanation of uh, the Marian roots to, to your order. Yeah. Now, fa- now, Father, um, the origins of uh, the Mercedarian order and probably your practices today are very different. Uh, you're, you're not looking to ransom captives as far as I'm aware. Uh, how have you taken the spirit of the early days of the founding of the order and brought that into the modern times? Well, we're still uh, trying to uh, bring this fully in, into full development. In this past couple of years, uh, we've been going through a stronger discernment to see how we can uh, apply this uh, in a very practical way here in the United States. And the, our renewed constitutions gives us the uh, a basic focus and direction, saying that there are these four qualities that we need to uh, address, like you know, where there's a situation of oppression and that it, it, uh, there's a possibility of uh, helping the people to come out of that oppression and that this uh, actually affects the faith in some way. And, you know, these qualities are there to sort of give us a particular direction, but each province has to discern uh, what exactly is the situation that we are are facing. And in the very beginning of our vicariate, uh, before it was a vicariate, when Mercedarians came here to the United States, the first application uh, for the Mercedarians was coming to the aid of the faith of those Italian immigrants that were here and were denied access to church, like they couldn't go to the Italian church, I mean the uh, Irish church, or the German church, or the Slovak church, because uh, they were Italians, you know. So so in some ways, they were experienced, the immigrants were experiencing some, um, you know, oppression that directly affected their faith. So the very beginnings of our uh, Mercedarian uh, uh, apostolate here in the United States was the service to, at our uh, St. Rocco Church in Cleveland, and also what came from that is Our Lady of Mount Carmel Church, not too far away. So both of these churches were there primarily for that. 
Now the question remains for us today how we can apply it. Some elements we feel a strong uh, direction for, for example, we know that families' life today is under attack. So, and the family life is really the the beginnings and uh, you know the nest or the where the the faith can really take root and grow. And if this is uh, you know destabilized and under attack, then also the faith is under attack. So, anything that we can do to build up family life, and also uh, we see we we see different areas where, for example, uh, in the situation of, of a crisis pregnancy, someone is in a situation there where they not only risk giving up uh, the life of their child, but also ruining their faith in, in God, in a sense. So, you know, coming to aid that situation and, and where there's oppression in the family, uh, where there's domestic violence that can destroy the family and also destroy the faith, and we also see that the most uh, degrading situation of all, it seems, would be the, the situation with human trafficking. But all these areas that are there, it's like, how can we address uh, you know, address them in a way that uh, uh, will be a, an aid? You know, we're we're certainly uh, can certainly be part of uh, what needs to be done to help our our world and our society. But uh, just as even in the time of Peter Nolasco, Nolasco and, uh, you know, our first Mercedarians did what we could to redeem the slaves that we, we could find, uh, it, it also was being done by many other communities that needed to be because we couldn't do it all. <laughs> sure, sure. You know, I mean, we're, God is calling us all to work together to help one another to to live in freedom, you know, and freedom for family. But, you know, then whatever we can do, we will try to do, you know. And and we ask everyone's prayers that we can continue forward, especially the intercession of Our Lady, Our Lady of Mercy, because there's many obstacles to accomplishing any good work. So, Absolutely. And, Father, how long have you been a uh, part of the Mercedarian Order? I was uh, ordained in 1985, so and I took uh, my solemn vows were a uh, year before in '84. So uh, you know it's coming up on 30 years now. So well, congratulations! And and what uh, what drew you initially to the charism of the Mercedarian Order? What was attractive to you? Basically, it's that uh, the simple sentence that we hear in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, "No greater love does one have than to lay down." Um, his or her life for his or friends, for one's friends. And uh, at that moment in my life, uh, it was uh, a, you know, a moment of decision. I was in my like second year of college, and it was a time uh, to uh, wonder. Like uh, I was in a high school seminary, and it was a diocesan seminary, and I simply had this understanding that I, I couldn't see myself uh, living as a... a uh, you know the life of the priesthood alone. I just, I just didn't see that. Uh, I mean, that was a, a difficult thing. So I left, and I, you know, was studying actually engineering, and also wondering about uh, what's my vocation life. Is this what it's meant to be? Even though I, I liked science and and math and was pursuing this, it was becoming difficult. 
and it was the question there uh, would uh, would this be my life vocation so uh, having that question and growing in my prayer going growing in my personal conversion a deepening of my faith and uh, I was going to daily mass at that time and then I saw this poster of our community in the back of the church that had the sentence on it and you know the the heart of it is love because uh, uh, well first of all only God knows um, what really w- is the best vocation for us, and we should have confidence that God will show us and lead us in that. Because, I mean, He is the one who made us. So, you know, having that confidence in Him to show us and lead us. The question boiled down to uh, in my life is whether my vocation to love would be in marriage or something else. Right, and. And since I saw this, it just seemed to move me to think about this, you know, and ask for information. And I didn't think anything of it at the time when I sent in. I, I Also, there was something of, uh, at that time, uh, was the Apollo mission was going on, and they did have that image, you know, you know, of like uh, uh, someone dreaming of this mission, of, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it sort of just attracted me, that, that idea. So that's when I just simply sent in for the information, and I didn't think of it for a couple months. And then uh, uh, another event happened where uh, at uh, Saturday evening Mass, I was hearing uh, the, the Father speak about the Gospel, and, and Peter was fishing all night and didn't catch anything. And I sort of felt like that, too, at that moment, like just doing this uh, uh, study and wondering whether this really would be my life. I mean, I I couldn't see myself doing uh, this life by myself or uh, going forward in it without the help of God, because I was meeting some difficulties, which were, I mean, were shocking to me. So, um, so this, this was on my mind as I was hearing this, and, and so the, the past gospel passage was, throw the net on the other side of the boat. <laughs> So and then it struck me that I didn't hear anything about it, and then uh, I uh, thought, well, maybe that's because there's something at home. And when I went home, there was, and so that to me was like the first step, the sign that you know God is inviting and calling me to our community. And then following up with that, uh, coming to recognize most of the community is uh, in my own hometown, and many of the community members are you know, from Cleveland, and so, I don't know, and, but also it was a Marian order, and my mother is uh, deeply devoted to uh, Our Lady and praying the rosary, and I also joined her in that, and also, uh, you know, Our Lady of Fatima is calling us all to pray for um, our own conversion, the conversion of all the world through, and, and, and the devotion to the rosary, so that just seemed to be, you know, something that fits with our, our community and and our devotion, you know, it's one of our one of the elements that we pray, uh, called to pray the rosary daily, and we do pretty well, you know, praying it daily, and also, of course, the the liturgy of the hours. So, uh, being faithful to that, now we just continue our prayers to move forward to uh, reach out to those who are in very difficult situations. Uh, uh, and and one of the things about try to to understand about Our Lady of Mercy is that this doing this redemption 
of uh, captives. Uh, and that's what the title really means, this Merced. In fact, when we see La Merced in Spanish, sometimes we translate it as simply the order, because mm. you really can't translate it as the mercy. You know, right. It's like the order, because the order was doing this work of mercy, but it's not just simply one work of mercy, like feeding the hungry or giving drink to the thirsty. But by actually doing this redemption, we are doing all the works of mercy, in this one act, because when they're in these dungeons and in this deplorable situation, they are hungering, they are thirsting, they are in such great suffering and such great need that it moves our heart to to respond and to do something to help them in this very difficult situation. So that uh, that same sense, we need to uh, extend, to, uh, to exercise in some way, uh, in our our work together here in in the United States, so we ask everyone's prayers that uh, we can fulfill this good work of mercy and and you know fulfill the call Christ is giving to us and to all to help people who are suffering oppression and especially those who are losing their faith, you know, or just right. kind of uh, losing the way because of their great need. Absolutely. That's a, a great need, as you point out, and that's a great work that your order does. And, uh, Father, you mentioned your order is uh, based out of Cleveland, is that correct? Well, our, our, our principal houses, are, our, our first houses are there. Uh, right now we're sort of in transition, uh, and we are, in order to move forward with our redemptive work, where uh, we feel and discern that the uh, it's more prudent to sell this property we have in Leroy, New York, though we will continue to be uh, uh, at our local parish here. It's called Our Lady of Mercy, and we'll continue that work. But uh, by selling the property, then it's possible that our like administrative offices uh, or work uh, could be moved in the future, but still presently right now it's in Leroy, New York. And I'm assuming that the order is still alive and well in Spain? It is. We have two provinces there. One is called the province of Aragon, which is the first uh, province uh, where Barcelona is. And they, their focus, they, they see the need to focus on coming to the aid of Christians uh, and ministry to those who are incarcerated. So mm. the, the jail ministry is very pronounced there. And whereas in the, the province of Castile, they see the need to reach out to those who are coming from other countries who are immigrants, uh, refugees. So trying to aid the refugees so that um, they can either get back to their own country or get integrated somehow so that they don't, you know, just uh, lose hope principally. And and each province uh, sees some vision, some way to exercise our, this and respond to the call to, to those who are suffering and in danger of losing the faith. So each province may have a different approach to how they, they put that into action. That's true, yes. Like some, I think in Chile, they concentrate more and more on the youth, and uh, Argentina, I believe, is uh, uh, seeing the, the strong need also to 
to develop and reach out to the situation of human trafficking. And uh, Italy, the Roman province, they have seen for many years also to reach out in the jail uh, jail and prison ministry, and they have this like a halfway house type situation helping. But it also seems to be helping people who are uh, uh, in a refugee status as well. So um, it's... uh, uh, oh, that's the, the principal work that's going on there in our Roman province. And in uh, India, I was there for uh, uh, 13 years and helping with the formation until we got some ordained. And uh, the area that uh, is uh, the heart of uh, the work is to, um, we have a house now, and we're, we're, the diocese actually started the program called, uh, the name of the house is called Jivadar or something like has to do with life and light, something like that. And um, <clears throat> their uh, children, a lot of times you can find children at the train stations or, you know, begging and stuff like this. And they're very vulnerable, of course. And uh, the idea of, uh, you know, it could be easily, uh, you know, uh, uh, terrible things, you know, you won't even imagine that could happen to these children. So the idea is to try to help these children come to a center and get them out of that situation we call street children, okay? So uh, the the diocese uh, uh, initiated the program, and then as our fathers were ordained, uh, the the diocese was asking and hoping that a religious community would take it up. So our our fathers have taken it up, and now we're proceeding to build a, a separate place that would be on our own property so we can continue this good work as something that we are fully dedicated to in India. That's wonderful. Now, Father, if somebody were uh, discerning a vocation and uh, listened to you today and they thought that they might be called to be working uh, in, in, in with the Fathers or the Order of the Blessed Virgin Mary of Mercy, what would they do to, uh, to get in touch with someone to uh, explore that vocation? Well, the easiest way is to uh, contact our vocation director. It's at vocations at orderofmercy.org, or just simply look at our, our website there, Order of Mercy. If you just put in Order of Mercy in any search, you'll find usually comes up right away. And the actual um, you know, uh, address is like where you put Order of Mercy without any space, orderofmercy.org, even that would come up right away. And right. it's really uh, uh, it's a very nice uh, website because we had it reworked and got lots of nice pictures and and uh, even recently uh, just uh, this past couple weeks uh, previous couple weeks uh, myself and also our vocation director father joe eddy we've been uh, together participating in these life teen camps because this is also an aspect you know that uh, our young people today in our society and culture are so immersed in secularism and all of its dangers that we feel a strong need to be with them in these programs that help them to encounter Christ and strengthen their faith. So uh, we're we're very delighted to be part of that, and you know, encourage all young people to you know be involved in youth youth groups and any programs that help them to grow strong in their their faith, because in that really they'll find their real joy rather than the the things of the world that are passing and just just lead us down paths that uh, 
are and can be very dangerous too. In fact, so. Well, thank you very much, Father. Uh, your order does excellent work, and I was excited to hear the history about it today. So thanks so much for being with us and for sharing all of that. So God bless you. Thank you very much, and I was happy to be there and continue to keep us in your prayers. Okay? We will. God bless. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that's all the time we have for today. Uh, I'd like to thank our guest, Father Ken Breen, the Vicar Provincial of the Order of the Blessed Virgin of Mary. And as he mentioned, uh, he, you can do a, a web search for Order of Mercy on the web, and you can get to their website that way. So thank you for joining us on the show today. And be sure to visit MiracleHunter.com as your resource for miracles, and keep up to date with how Our Lady is honored around the world at 365dayswithmary.com. Thanks for joining me today on Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you are a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill.